Welcome everybody to the True Dreamers Podcast. I'm your host today, Isaac, here with my handsome, smart, incredibly skilled friends. And God, Joaquin that. and Philip. <laughs> oh yeah, by myself. I was just talking <laughs> about myself. I was looking in the mirror, you know. Joaquin and Philip, you already know if you're a regular, you know who they are. Um, we know who you are if you're a regular for sure. But if you're new to the podcast, um, I'm just one of the four, actually one of the five. I don't consider myself any special, any more special. I'm only the host because I beg to be the host pretty much. <laughs> so all these people are just on my level. In fact, I believe them to be higher than me in many cases and in many different scenarios. I cherish these guys to the max. And uh, you will learn a lot from not only me but from them as well because they are very educated in what they talk about. Other than that, I have one thing to say to you guys. What you're doing in your life right now, it's great. You're probably doing wonderful things. The only thing is you're probably not, if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably not setting out to be average. You're probably not setting out to be just some normal person who works a W-2 job and, and does these everyday things like everyone else. What you're doing is you're waking up every day and you're working hard. There comes a point where you can't rely on your skill anymore, and it's a matter of will. Will you do something? The will inside your heart. You wake up every day. You're already educated. You have already read the books. You already know the investing tactics. The thing is you wake up every day and you swing and you miss. Eventually you miss so many times that you end up feeling like you want to quit. When it comes to that time of quitting, that's when you need to realize that your skill does not matter anymore. You need to start relying on your will. Put your will into practice and see what you yourself can do. How many more times can you wake up? How many more books can you read? How much more educated can you get? If you go to bed every night thinking that you've done enough, then why are you watching everyone else succeed around you? Let's get right into this podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about financial education. We're going to talk a little bit about credit. Me, myself, honestly, I'll be straight honest. I don't know much about credit, but me, this is why I have my friends here. Joaquin and Philip know much more about credit. When I have credit questions about anything, the first credit card I got, the second one I got, I came yeah, to them. Yeah, second one? Well, it, uh, Long, long story. I messed up on the first one. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was oh, a weird okay. That's what, okay. I didn't mess up. I, I don't know what happened, but <laughs> so anyways, I come to them right here cause they know what they're, what they're talking about when it comes to it. And I trust their opinion and uh, it's important. Friendships shouldn't be any competition just cause they know more than you in, some, in a certain situation. I see this happen all the time. I come to them and it's important to have people who cover your flaws and uh, who, dance with your strengths if that makes sense build the team team yes uh, team in all effort. aspects in all aspects so to kind of start this podcast on the way with finances one thing that i really wanted to talk about was uh was credit and and that's what these guys are gonna are gonna be here to tell you i'm gonna ask questions because i'm gonna act like the dumb one that doesn't know anything because i am the dumb one that doesn't know anything <laughs> i'm here to help you guys uh they know much more like i said and they're gonna get right into this credit is something that you don't learn in school Maybe you might learn one thing or two from a random teacher that might say something, but 99.9% of the time, you're not learning anything financial, especially not about credit. And these guys come out of high school and colleges will trick them, uh, car dealerships will trick them, apartments will trick them, whatever it might be, into getting a credit card because they feel like they, they're told that they are needed to be had in these certain situations. The thing is they know they're supposed to have them. They don't know how to use them. Joaquin, can you yes, explain sir. a little more about credit and maybe how someone in high school coming out of high school might be able to use credit to their advantage instead of falling into the trap of this credit card debt and then being feared of credit? I will say that's a great transition to what I was about to say because of the very common misconceptions that there are about credit. 
for example, in most families, I would say, including the one I grew up in, I mentioned credit once or, hey, getting a loan once. It's like, <gasps> a sin. <debt. laughs> what are you doing? It's like stigma. But uh, just like everything in life, if you know how to leverage it correctly and you know how to use it, it can be a tool and it can help you really just shoot your net worth in very positive ways. But it can also destroy you and put you in in a hole. And I've seen it happen before, so I want to educate you guys on how you can use it as a tool. Uh, before I do get into it with here and my partner, Philip and Isaac, I do want to say that we are not financial advisors. Uh, not at all. As, as, will, as I will say, I do believe I, I am educated in this subject. At the end of the day, you take your own actions that I'm not responsible for. Um, so, yeah, listen at however you take this, but I'm going to say I highly recommend it. <laughs> Anyways, let's get right into it. I highly it. So, recommend the financial advice that we're not financial advisors. I know, right? Go but ahead. wink, wink, <laughs> wink, take it. Anyways, uh, there's a lot of things when you uh, think of credit. Instantly, people go to credit cards. They go to loans. Credit is something that usually large financial in institutions can check and they can reference to make sure that you're a candidate that they can let you to borrow money. You guys following? Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like your, your worthiness of based on your past history exactly how much can we trust you and how much of our money can we trust you with yeah right. exactly that that's a great analogy i'll bring up my first analogy here it's almost like you're applying to a job right and they want to see like your work experience they want to see like your credentials in the certain field credit's almost the same thing because they they check all these aspects in your credit and they check all your tools they check what your your history how many credit cards you have how many accounts you have and they're like okay sure yeah we'll let you have xyz amount of money or this line mm -hmm. of credit right for now for now exactly but this will really bring me to the main thing that i'm going to talk about and it's what they really check what identifies a good credit score versus a bad credit score right so number one i would say and i'm going to go from most important to probably least important although obviously you want to like shine and do the, your best in each um stage of the credit process so number one is missed Payments on, I'm just going to say anything because like I said, credit can be measured in just borrowed money. So it can be a loan or it can be a credit card. So what I'm saying is if you open a credit card, you do not want to max out the limit, right? And then you have to make a payment when your statement comes comes in. Let's say you max it out. Your, only, your limit's $1,000, right? The statement comes through. You got to pay 100 for that month. You got to pay that. You definitely don't want to miss that payment because if you miss that payment, the credit bureaus are going to say, hey, buddy, you have a history of missing payments, right? Yeah. How can we trust you with, you know, you wanting to get a home loan or you wanting to get a own auto loan? Right. So that's definitely something you want to keep in mind. Anything to add on that, Philip? Um, yeah, that's basically don't actually speaking of payments. So there's two things when it comes to when it comes to your statement. Once you get your statement, that's. Usually, like, it's say, like, you have a, a balance due. You have the date that is due. So, let's say, hypothetically, it's the 22nd of every month. That's when you have to pay it. That's mm -hmm. your uh, due date for that payment. But your statement might be, you might have gotten your statement on the 27th of that month. It's because you have, like, a five-year period where on mm -hmm. the day that the statement is kind of, like, your statement date, basically, your closing date is where, at the end of that day, they take a screenshot of your account. And that's when they decide, okay, well... 
they have $900 left to, uh, they paid their $100 minimum payment. Let's say like you do pay your minimum payment. You have $900. You don't put anything else on it. By the closing date, that's what they're going to say. Like, okay, based on the fact that you owe us 900, now you may owe us 85. Like, well, you made your minimum payment. Like, that's good. But actually, yeah, no, that's, that's mm-hmm. exactly how it works. Because yeah. sometimes they'll lower it depending on if you pay more than your minimum payment. Because if you just pay the minimum, obviously, like, um, if let's say hypothetically, you don't have a no interest credit card, um, you get charged like 25% interest. You're getting charged 25% interest on that 900. So because you paid Ooh. the minimum payment and then right. um, it's only 900, then they tax on the interest. And then now what of that $100 payment, let's say hypothetically, you, you, they tag on like an extra, say like 25. I don't know if that math adds up, but so we'll call it, can, it that. I hear you. Yeah. It so you like technically only paid $75 of that so, $100. That was great, Philip. That was a great take. Before, I, I, I kind of realized this, and as we're talking about this, the way we're explaining this, right, is as if we're talking to people that already understand how credit and how credit cards and how loans work. So I want to dumb it down. I want to, no disrespect to anyone listening or like anyone that doesn't know, I want to talk to you guys like I'm talking to kindergartners or like I'm talking to someone who's experienced it best. for the first time, right? Yeah. So let's backtrack. Mm-hmm. Let's take a step back real quick. Okay. And let's digress. Okay. Philip, what is a credit card so plastic yeah it's a piece of plastic <laughs> it so says I, capital one yes on i use this piece of plastic to buy this shiny. piece of plastic unless you're cool and you have a metal one but anywho um yes yeah, so basically it's a piece of plastic that will allow you to borrow money from a bank a bank will give you a credit limit that's them saying well based on your credit worthiness we ran your credit we saw that you have say a 700 credit score that's you know that's good enough to yes. give you a one thousand dollar limit for us. It might be different elsewhere, but for our bank, we can trust you with a thousand based on what we see. So they give you a thousand dollars. So that's not a thousand dollars that you have to spend. That's a thousand dollars that they are trusting you with. Because right. some people think that because they have a thousand dollar credit limit, they have a thousand dollars in their bank. They don't. That's perfect. That's just how much you're able to spend yes. on so their do, behalf. Do all credit cards come from banks, or can it be like? No, that's okay. not true. So they can also come from as maybe you guys have parents because for some reason I find a lot of parents, especially like the older generation that does this, they have stores like let's say you go to Macy's or you go to mm-hmm. Cabela's, a yeah. store you shop very often. They usually offer some sort of incentive like, hey, open up this credit card. The salesman yeah, that makes those you sign up. Yeah. Those, those I mean, they work just like any other credit bad, card. But, but yeah. if you like the only way i'd find that very necessary and useful is if you shop at that place very often mm-hmm. often but yeah you can also use a regular credit card to shop at that place so i think exactly. it's stupid you get your points but yeah. okay so that was very well said the reason why i asked what's a credit card is because when most people think of credit they think of ooh credit card i want to mention that first because if you're really trying to establish and take that first step in your credit journey let's say you literally start at zero this is the key that you're able to unlock, right? And then you can open that door and then go through and start your credit journey. Mm -hmm. So the difference here is applying, making that process and actually getting your first credit cards. So if you're sitting there like, well, if I don't have, like Philip said, that credit score of 700, how do I start? How do I get a credit card if these banks aren't gonna trust me? This is what I did and it worked and now I have a very, very good credit score. So there's a difference between a secured credit line and an unsecured credit line. 
So what I did for my first credit card was I got a secured line of credit, which is pretty much your credit line is the amount of money you put down on that credit card. So when I did the whole application process, I put, you know, the basics, my name, my address, social security, all the important stuff. And then I needed to put some upfront money down. So let's say I wanted a line of credit, which was, I did $500, very low. I wish I did more, but it doesn't matter because they increased it over time. I did $500. So in order to gain their trust, they wanted me to provide that $500 as a security backup. So that $500 that I put down just went to some, you know, locked away in a cage somewhere, whatever, wherever they put my $500, which leveraged them to say, okay, that's money backed up in case you don't pay our $500. So they let me borrow their money. And as like I said, as a security deposit, they just locked away my $500. How that works is you have now have that $500 credit card, right? That you can spend on whatever the heck you like. If it's gas, if it's food, whatever, as long as you don't go above that $500 mark. And we'll get to that later and why that's important. But for now, I'm going to keep it simple. So anyways, let's say you do miss that payment or you do screw up. That's why they keep it those $500 spare that you put down initially, right? So that's a secured credit card. And then on the other flip side, which you'll see very more often, and these are like the big popular cards, the American Express Platinum, the uh, Capital One Silver, these are unsecured credit cards. And really to apply and actually get approved for these type of credit cards, um, you need a good credit history. And what can really open that door for you and is what I did is I got a secured credit card. Okay, I want to jump in on the unsecured part because my first credit card was actually unsecured. Because, Which, yeah, you can yeah, do. You, you can, can do, do because I was going to say um, there are instances where you don't really have to have credit. You can just have, I guess, a history with your bank. So I had Wells Fargo at the time. And when I was looking into my first credit card, I saw that um, there was something called the Wells Fargo uh, Cashback College Card. So obviously, by the name, you have to be a college student or at least, you know, prove that you're the age of a college student. So, I mean... I think the age restriction was between like 17 and 24. Um, I think he, I didn't need to provide them that I was actually enrolled in a college. So I needed to give them that and like show them my, uh, cause at the time I wasn't in college yet. So I had to give them a form that said like, okay, these are classes I'm going to take. This proves I'm a college student. You know, here's my enrollment form, blah, blah, blah. I also had to have at least one year of experience with that bank. So hopefully most people have a bank account if they're looking into getting credit cards because that makes things so much easier for paying your card. Um, or, you know, if they're a teen, you know, they're about to apply for their credit card that your parents set you up and got you like a teen checking account so that you can spend your own money on the debit card. But obviously, we can, we'll can we go over later why um, using a debit card probably won't be your best option, right. uh, why you should be using a credit card. But, you know, that secured unsecured line I was able to get even with no credit history because I had the history, the requirements they said like college student and that you have at least one year at the time. My, uh, I had like 16 years or actually not 16, 14 because my, my mom had, um, had a teen account since 2004 for me. So, nice. I mean, they had that right. history. So I instantly got approved. And then from there I built up my credit until I, uh, got more credit cards, but that's not, it's not about me. It's about, you know, we're talking about why, you know, like how exactly to, you know, obtain this kind of credit Manages lines. Right. These mm -hmm. cards. Okay. So 
You got the unsecured credit card. You got the secured credit card. Let's say you got both. You're moving up in the world. You're doing your thing. These are all established. Let's move on down the list on what is going to be second most important. I already mentioned missed payments, right? You don't want to see any missed payments on your credit cards or if you have loans available. What would be the second most important to you, Philip? Um, I think for me, it would be I mean, how much of your credit you're using. Credit utilization. What does that mean? So out of all of your credit lines that you have, so let's say like you have two credit cards, each have $1,000. That means your available credit for you is 2000 So they look at each credit card and combine how much of it you're actually using by that statement date. Because if you use it, but it's not reported to the credit bureaus, they don't know that you're using their money until they report it. So right. you could be at a zero credit utilization when you first open up your you know, first your credit cards. But once they get reported to the credit bureaus and they see, let's say like you use 50% on both, then that's what, a thousand, so a thousand, so you got 500, 500. So that's a thousand out of your 2000. That's 50% credit utilization, which looks really, really bad because the banks are like, well, you're kind of getting a little close to your, your limit. Right. Um, so how can we trust that you're going to, well, you know, not I trust, but... Oh, my question, Philip, yeah. as a new credit user, mm -hmm. would be like, well, isn't that my money? If they gave me the $1,000 limit, why can't I use $1,000 if, if I could pay it back? Exactly. So my money if you use, have, right? well, it's not really, I mean, it depends. I mean, if you pay it back, because it's not, well, how do they know? Because like, what, like every transaction you make, they're not going to be looking every single day like, are you paying this back? Are you going to pay this back? Like you just put $100, are you going to pay right, this uh, $100 yeah. back? You know, they, they, that the reason why they gave you that credit limit is because they have some sort of trust in you that like you you prove that you can pay back money on time then they give you that limit but yeah. if you max out your credit card and you try putting more on it obviously they're gonna be like well we only gave you a thousand dollars because why are you putting so much more money on this you know like are you in sheer desperation like are you gonna go broke how do we know you're gonna get your, our money so back so they're right. they're pretty much trying to say hey we're giving you an inch mm -hmm. don't take a mile exactly exactly yeah because yeah. I know a lot of people um will like apply for credit cards and they'll get approved because they have good credit scores. But the downside or what they, what the credit bureaus don't know is that they are say like in financial ruin and they need to borrow that money in order to pay off. I don't know, some debt that they had. Um, right. You know, they're in like a pinch or they really need to get something, say like they wanted to, you know, um, pay off something and they really, really need that credit. They'll open up like two or three. I know that that was pretty popular during, um, yeah, during COVID times. So the main thing they really want to see there is that you are responsible and you are util utilizing your credit responsibly, mm -hmm. period. Uh, what credit bureaus really like is that 1% to 10% range. Mm -hmm. So as Philip mentioned, if your total credit available to you is $5,000, uh, let's say you can even do it like this, right? Let's say you have $3,000 uh, in credit cards and you have $2,000 in some sort of personal loan, right? You don't want to be using more than $500. Correct my math if I'm wrong. Yeah, you're there right. There you go. Yep. $500. <laughs> $500. Yeah, yeah, across is, all of them. The is credit like and, the, and the loans. Percentage or fraction amount specifically? Because I know you said 500 for that 3000 mm -hmm. But like for, for those, 5000 For those 5000 For mm -hmm. those who can't math, I know what that percentage is. But yeah. Say it was a three thousand uh, dollar credit or three hundred uh, dollar credit. What percentage of that am I allowed to use to be in the safe realm on the short end of a, of and a, in the higher end of a three hundred thousand? 
I'm just saying in any in any credit because I'm assuming it'd be the same whether it's a hundred dollar mm-hmm. credit line or whether it's a hundred thousand dollar yeah credit right line, there's a certain percentage you stay under yes about what's 10%. like the sh- about ten percent would that be the short ten percent ten percent the high end oh high end yeah yes so you don't want to go above ten you don't want you can go you above can. ten it also this is also the difference there's the TransUnion uh, credit bureaus and there's the Experian there's also the FICO. TransUnion is like the the more accurate. Right? Yes, that's okay. what they mainly use. TransUnion and Experian. Those are like the two that go hand in hand. But there's also like I mentioned the FICO and what they are is they're they're honestly just different opinions on how credit really can be like yeah. sure. can be seen. So like what I've uh, experienced in TransUnion and um the other is 1 to 10%, right? But then if you go to FICO, it says like 1 to 30%. Mm-hmm. which is you you just be smart about it like play it safe so if one says one to 32 say one to 10 stay one to 10 you know what i mean like 100%. that's fine i get it and then moving down the list let's go to third most important i would have to say uh derogatory marks this is definitely one that uh let's it's mainly for if you're applying for a loan or a bigger line of credit that credit bureaus do not want to see and it's really it depends. This whole thing, derogatory marks, is if you have like a history of uh, collections or if you had to file for bankruptcy. This is obviously terrible because this is showing the credit bureaus that you're very irresponsible with your money. You borrowed a lot of money in the past and you weren't able to pay it back. So it went into collections or you had to file bankruptcy, which is, hey, I don't have the money. I'm going under. And the banks are like, see ya. <laughs> <laughs> okay cutting all ties from you yeah. you're starting from zero it takes and a long we're taking all your cover. assets yeah yes. yeah. yeah and it does it, it very much does so i would say that's third and um like i said before these are all important you want to be green checks in all of these departments but there's also there's you know the most to less important but like i said you want to have golden check marks fourth from that list philip what would you say Okay, we went over like I guess your credit utilization. We did utilization. We did mispayments, derogatory marks. marks. I think in that, I think it's also um, something that's important. I don't know if you kind of fourth or, but it's really important is the kind of credit cards you're applying for because there's you know there's a store cards. I mean, a lot of people will be saying that like you know, oh like your perks and stuff. Yeah, I guess like the type of credit you have because you can have like revolving credit lines which is your credit cards the ones that like they borrow money and then you can pay it over time uh there's like you know your auto loans or your house loans and everything Mm -hmm. they look at like like what kind of what credit you're applying for so they're looking for sorry to take over Phil, and interrupt you they're looking for the total available credit you have right is that kind of what you're saying in a way yeah and like what what kind of credit cards are those because if you have like a bunch of store credit cards a, a, a a bank loan might like well that's a store credit card, but like, right. how can we know that you can use credit outside of a store? You know, like that store specific card is like, it's good, I guess, like having one or two of them, that's fine. Right. But like, if only you have store credit, you know, store credit cards, like, well, what if you need money for, for this or for that, you know, like exactly. outside of that. So exactly. like, that's why like using store specific cards are not too good because it limits you to only that store. And then, you know, even those stores, like some of them don't even report it to you, to certain credit bureaus. So then, you know, might only report it to say TransUnion, but then Equifax might be like, or, you know, like Experian might be like, well, we don't have any history of it. Right. But, right. and like, that's where we draw from. We can't draw from your TransUnion because that's not where we draw from. We only draw from Equifax and you don't have any. Yeah. And, and I'll add on to what you're yeah. saying. So I would also like to say that it's also very important to have some sort of larger 
loan rather than a credit line as well on your on your uh, credit yeah. um, history, I guess, or on your record. Because let's say you want to move up in the world. Let's say you want to buy a single family house, right? They would like to see that you have history in a loan of like at least such similar size or of some value. Mm-hmm. So, for example, let's say you bought a car. I'm not going to get into it. I personally wouldn't do it because there's a difference between liabilities and assets. Maybe Isaac will get into it later, but for now I'm gonna keep it oh, I keep will. it stupid simple. Kiss. Mm-hmm. I will. Um. Anyways, so it would be nice in the way of having a larger, you know, loan. Let's say auto loan of forty thousand dollars. It would be nice in the eyes of the credit uh, bureaus because they're like, oh, hey, he's uh he has a forty thousand uh, dollar credit line in an auto loan. He's making payments on it monthly. He's doing his thing. It's it's looking well. He's paid off 50% of it so far, so it's good. So let's say you get in, like I said, you're moving up in life. You want to buy a house. Hmm, you know what? He has this car of $40,000. The house he wants to buy, $200,000. No missed payments. He has, let's say, another fifty, forty thousand 40000 in credit card. And that's probably a crazy mm-hmm. high number. But, you know, his uh, utilization and all his credit's looking good. Yeah, let's trust him with the house. But kind of like what Philip's saying, let's say you only have two freaking Macy's car, one Macy's cards and one, I don't know, Dick Sporting Goods cards. And you're like, hey, dude, I want to buy a house. My credit's looking great, though. 100% miss, uh, no missed payments, nothing. Dude, your available credit's 2000 You think we're going to trust you with a 300000 you know, home loan? Mm-hmm. Like, buddy. Yeah. No, you, you need to do more to your credit. So, uh, yeah, I, I would definitely well, agree with Philip. That's definitely the fourth that, person post. So what, what if I didn't have the credit to get that type of loan? Could I use someone else's credit? Yes. Cosigners? Cosigners. Cool. You said it first, Philip. Take it away. What's a cosigner? So a cosigner is somebody. So when you have, like, you know, you can take out a loan or, you know, you can be like the main person, but you can have someone say like they have a like a better credit uh credit or was credit score than you. They can say like okay, I will be the credit on their behalf, but then there also has to go both ways. There has to be an income, and they have to have credit because you know if you have just credit, but then they're like, well, we need some sort of like like you know uh, employment history, or we need to know that you're going to make enough money to even pay this right, back. Cause right. What happens is a lot of people they'll take out a loan, and maybe they they have a, a minimum wage job when they're working part-time and you think that you can pay do back like a $300 or $300,000 loan sorry. with just a minimum wage job working part-time. Do both people um, either benefit or kind of are liable? Off? Yeah. Or liable for it, that? Yeah. So like, both are liable. So let's say that you are, let's say like Isaac, you co-signed for, let's say your brother. Like I know you don't have an older brother, but let's say like that, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, you yeah. co-signed for your brother. You, in the instance that you, and you have to make sure that you, tr- like, being a co-signer is very, I guess like there's, they're very on the fence about it because like, yeah, you want to help out your family, but you got to make sure that you know that they can do it because if they don't make up, they don't, um, I guess, keep up with their payments, it falls back on you because your name is, you signed that like, hey, like if they, if anything were to happen, I'm also liable because I'm, right, right. I'm the main credit person. So, you know, your credit will take a hit as their well as Their record theirs. is on the line. Right. Yes. yes. Exactly. That's great. That's great. And I will mention, let's keep going down the list. Let's move down the list. Mm-hmm. Let's kind of hurry it up a little bit because yeah. I know Isaac has some stuff he wants to talk about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyways, <clears throat> moving down the list, I would also say, dude, just time. It takes time to build your credit. <clears throat> 
excuse me, credit bureaus want to see that you've had um, a history of credit for quite some time. You're not a year in, you're not two years in. They like seeing like four to five years and that's what they would classify as quote unquote good credit. The same reason you wouldn't trust a brand new doctor more than you would trust like a 10 year old doctor. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Because the banks are looking at you. Let's, I mean, consider this too. Like credit bureaus are looking at, yeah, hundred percent on time payments for a year. But this other dude also has 100% on-time payments for five years. They're going to trust to do it five years because that's a lot of time. That's a lot of time difference. So that's definitely another thing. And it's very, very simple. I won't even add on more to that. Moving down the list. And this is also going to be my last one because I believe Mm -hmm. I covered it all. If not, Philip, you can always add on to it. I will say it is going to be uh, hard inquiries. And this is definitely something we didn't touch Mm on. Uh, I would say it's more important than probably history. But um, it's pretty much... um, If you were to open up a larger loan, right, they usually do a harder record pool on you and it's quote unquote noted as a hard pool on your credit. And this would be something called a hard inquiry. And it stays on your account for about, I would say, agree or not with me, Philip, it's about two years, right? Yeah, two years. For for most of them, it is two years. For, For the majority of them, it's two years. So if it's, like I said, if it's a larger line of credit, usually like a really big credit card or a auto loan of some sort, um, yeah, it's noted on your on your record for two years, so it will lower your score uh, temporarily. And I, uh, to be quite frankly with you, Philip, I don't know why they do that. I I'd assume it would be for the reason that they don't want you to open up too many accounts. All yeah, at once, I think that's I would what say. it is. Yeah, well, having a hard inquiry, it kind of says like, well, you know, that's usually only certain um, companies that like do like bigger, bigger loans, like right, you know, a right. car loan, a house loan. Mm. Um, they're going to do a more extensive research or a sense of pool because they want them to see more things than say like an average credit card. Credit card might look at just your only like three of the six things you mentioned. You're right. But a hard inquiry sense. will look at everything because they want to make sure like they know what they're getting into and like they want to see what you are a person because if they only draw from three the other three say like they skip on on your delinquency let's say they skip on your i don't know like the type of credit you have right skip out on you know um well i probably those two other three are pretty important i feel like but yeah they're gonna if they skip out on that and then they that missed chances like oh like if we saw those things that would have been a bigger impact or made it uh, influence our decision better on how much credit or if we even approved it for the loan. Um, exactly. They, they want to see everything. That's great. Very well said, Philip. And just wrapping things up here with the whole talk on credit, I can you can kind of really see how this whole entire process and this record can really be used as a tool because going into it, like I said at the beginning, most people knock it and they're like, credit, you're crazy. But then again, later down the road, when you want to move up in life or you want to acquire some sort of asset, this this tool, this record that you build over time gives you that leverage to borrow more money, right? And mm-hmm. maybe Isaac wants to get into this now or later. I'm not yeah. sure, but you can re- you can really start to understand what an asset is versus a liability. And this whole thing about credit can give you that leverage to borrow people's money to acquire such things. That it's wonderful. That was wonderfully said by the both of you guys. You guys really explained that in a way to where if I literally had zero idea what I was talking about, I at least know a little bit more. Um, I trust their information. I know, like he said, they're not experts um, in the financial world, but they are experts to me. And I do trust that information right there. I I use that information mm-hmm. myself and I do practice that information myself. So. Very well said by the both of you guys. Yeah, wonderful. Thank you. And if there's anything you disagree with, or maybe you want to look more into it, then by all means, yeah, go ahead. 
Like yes, do your own 100%. research because mm-hmm. again, we're not we're not financial experts. Not the only you know, if there's something that either. we might have mm-hmm. missed and skewed or maybe somewhere on some one of our viewers is a financial expert. Well, you got that wrong. Well, okay, well, you know, like we said, we're not experts. You want to do your own research, go ahead. Obviously there might have been something that we missed or there's something that we can that could have been added upon, but obviously, you know, that's for you to figure out because you know, you can take some of what we have and then do your own research and maybe there's something that you can I guess add on to what we said and then boom, you know, that's perfect for you. Nice. So now we're going to transition a little bit into my part of it. Yes, sir. Credit's wonderful. I hope you guys took something from that, but we're going to talk a little bit more about the investing side of it, a little bit more about the actual, the money, 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 money part. Yes. Let's get into it. So Robert Kiyosaki wrote a book a long time ago called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. This book will change your life forever. I read this book after Joaquin let me have it. Well, let me borrow it at first. Now I just wrote all over it so he doesn't want it back. <laughs> but uh, So uh, <laughs> he let me borrow it, and I was like, whatever, I'll give this book a try. I thought it had a lot of hype behind it, and it was probably going to be overhyped. I don't like reading, but this book made me want to build a library. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I guess that might say something So for, these, for those of you guys who don't like reading. This book isn't necessarily just about like a financial education book. And more teaches you the reason of why you should be financially educated. It's a financial motivation book is how I kind of looked at it. I don't know how you looked at it, Joaquin, but that's kind of after I read it, I looked at it as I was more motivated to make finances rather than knowing more about finances. I hear you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I felt so, the same. One quote that it says back here that I really like, it's like the main quote and it. it's in the book as well by Robert Kiyosaki is the main reason people struggle financially is because they spend years in school learning nothing about money. The result is the people learn to work for money, but never learn to have money work for them. And this is the number one rule in the book that he mentions that people just somehow do not grasp. And honestly, I thought it was stupid when I first read this line. Like I was like, no way this dude's serious. It is this simple. And you need to understand this right here, this line right here is that the middle class, the poor and middle class buy liabilities. The rich acquire assets. Uh, The issue is just like how I said in that first quote initially, is that they don't understand the difference between an asset and a liability. People buy houses and cars thinking that it's their assets because the bank labels them as assets. They are liabilities. Anything taking money out of your pocket every month is a liability. Mm -hmm. Your children are liabilities. Mm -hmm. Your house is not your biggest asset. You pay a mortgage on that and you don't make money from it. Exactly. That's a liability. And if something were to happen to it, then that's money in your pocket. What do you mean? Like 100%. Exactly. Your house and your car are just other forms of children. That's really all it is. They work the same on pretty much tax brackets as well. It's pretty stupid how everything works, but that's how it is. And this other way... The other thing he explains in here is uh, that I find valuable. Now, by the way, I'm just going to skim over this book. I'm not going to get into detail because it would be another four hours if I were to actually talk about this book. Is that people learn in all different types of ways. Me, I don't learn very well in lecture. But lecture is not the only way you can learn. I learn the hard way. And that's just the way that I learn. I learn in life. I learn by being pushed around a little bit, by falling down and scraping my knees. I learn by getting back up and understanding that I learned a lesson and I'm not going to do that same thing again. I learned a lesson and I found out that it's a blessing and now I know more about how to move up to the next level. There's certain people in life and there's those people that learn with lecture and there's those people that 
don't just like I just said one thing that I like to mention is these people both realms of life need to learn how to be pushed around a little bit I'm glad that I learned the hard way because those that don't learn the hard way I realize that they get pushed around and don't get back up they get pushed around and they don't learn they don't learn the lesson and they don't know what to do on the next step everyone needs to learn how to learn the hard way a little bit more and that's kind of what I kind of picked up from this book is don't let the world push you around a little bit fight back and understand that these different things that people are telling you about money like especially people that you don't that don't even know anything about money you shouldn't be listening to advice from them you should be listening to advice from not me but the experts like from this book Robert Kiyosaki he multimillionaire of course I'm going to listen to him same reason why I wouldn't listen to a fat person about fitness advice same reason I'm going to listen to a rich person about how to get rich one major thing one other major thing I want to mention in this book is continuing kind of the topic of uh of money and in terms of its emotion is a lot of people kind of grab onto money as emotion and they treat it like it's some type of feeling again this has to do a lot because a lot with the fact that people treat don't know how to treat money and we mentioned this earlier at the beginning we were kind of talking is that a lot of people can um go to school for years learn a very valuable skill a wonderful skill how to be a doctor how to be a lawyer how to be a politician yet at the end of the day they don't know how to mind their own business at the end of the day they become unaware of how money works and they become very emotional toward money a money becomes this evil thing that they look at like they're like i'll just say it like this you work for money and he says it in the book these people are very educated yet they work for money money rules them they are the slave to money i don't know about you guys but i don't really want to be a slave at all right let alone a piece of paper Mm -hmm. so the fact that a lot of you guys go to work they dread going to work every day even though they make a lot of money and they're still broke is because you're a slave to your own money what you have to do is become emotionless to money and realize that money is just a piece of paper yes it's what's used to uh, run the world unfortunately the world revolves around money so use it to your advantage become emotionless to it and realize that money comes money goes and if you want more of it you can't be attached to it like it's your freaking wife or your children. Right. And one one thing I will mention real quick in that book and with that talk mm-hmm. is he mentions in this book, and I love the way he says it, he was like, I am so thankful I never received a paycheck from somebody else because it didn't allow me to build a sense of reliability on that person. It's not like I work this W income job. I'm right. using my, my labor for money, right? Instead he had to work differently for the, the, the capital that he acquired. He had to open a business. He had to really understand how money works, how to serve people and how to create a business that just works on its own. And he doesn't really have to put his time into it. The business is what puts its own time and his money makes himself more money. Right. And I know ex- it sounds crazy, <laughs> but that's yeah. quite literally how it is. He explains real assets. Yeah. As such as things that as businesses, or anything that functions in a way that brings money into your pocket every month without you having to do anything. Exactly. That is a real asset. Again, your liabilities are those things like I mentioned earlier. You need to acquire assets. Use that paper. Don't become emotional to it. It's just a piece of paper. Use that paper to put things into other things that make you more paper. It is literally that simple. 
he has this bracket in the book that shows like your income from your salary or whatever it is and it goes straight to your expenses it never goes anywhere else it goes straight to your expenses and then out the door waiting for the next check this is something kind of silly it's called the rat race you every bit depending on how you get paid either bi-weekly or month to month you work for that next paycheck you spend the next paycheck and then you complain about not having enough money then you get the next paycheck you spend the paycheck and then you complain about not getting paid enough then you get the next paycheck and then you spend it all and you complain that your boss isn't paying you enough if you're blaming your boss for not paying you enough you're the issue not your boss you need to realize that you need to do something different to go make yourself some money because right there's no reason mm-hmm. you should be complaining to your boss you're the one that works for him exactly, exactly. you're making him rich and with that, I don't want to make anyone else rich. Right. I hate yeah. getting another paycheck. And let's be real here. The the main issue as well with that, because obviously I almost want to say almost everybody probably listening to this podcast and as well as us have mm-hmm. W-2 income jobs. It's yeah. not a bad thing. But what we're saying here is the misconception that most people don't understand and are told and, and actually do as well is as their income increases, so do their expenses. That's a shitty balance. Pardon sometimes, my French. Sometimes <laughs> a promotion is the worst thing that can happen to you. Exactly. Because mm-hmm. it, it, this balance isn't good. It's bad to have both things eye to eye with each other because then you're not saving money, right? You're not allowing yourself to give some wiggle room in case, you know, crap hits the fan and you really got to pay for a funeral of some sort or mm-hmm. building your business, right? Instead of when you get that promotion, instead of spending the equal amount of money on a liability, hey, let's go finance this new car. How about, hey, let's go let's go understand money. Let's go acquire a rental property. Let's go try and start up my business. Let's you know, you can use money and understand money in so many different ways. And uh this whole book is teaching you ways and helping you understand that whole process. Right. And the the other thing about working for money is that it's not your fault. It's the only thing you know. You're taught mm-hmm. from the beginning to work for money because of school. School teaches you how to become very skilled and how to go make a good job making someone else rich, plain and simple. Um, another thing that I want to stress was honestly the big, the mo- biggest thing I took from this book was the emotion toward money. And that's why I'm going to keep coming back to it is uh, your primary reason why you stay at your W-2 job and why you get a job and listen to the crowd is because of fear. Fear is probably the biggest emotion that drives the most amount of people. For those of you who didn't know, he explains this in a very wonderful way. Emotion stands for in motion. I know it's kind of spelled different, but it made sense when I read it. In motion. And why I wanted to kind of emphasize that is because in motion obviously means where you're heading toward. If you think of money as a negative way, the emotion you're going to have for it is going to go down. Or not down, but it's going to be bad. So the emotion is going to go toward a negative feeling and you're going to have more fear and more, you're going to hate money more. If you have a more positive outlook toward money and you use that emotion as a happy thing, then you're going to make more money. Would you agree? I would definitely agree with that. Yes. Very well said. Yeah. Plain and simple. This book is, uh, I didn't want to go too in depth into it, honestly, but one of the things I really just wanted to say is that you need to pick up this book and, um, and just read it. Even if this is the only book you read in your entire life, it's this worth book it. is absolutely wonderful. Yes. Like, literally, I just opened a random page, and the first thing I see is uh, most people become slave to money, and then they get angry at their boss. <laughs> most people do not know how to control their emotions or the way they think. That is literally a quote in the book. Mm-hmm. And, and um, 
I just love how he words everything because he's not a writer. When I'm reading this, I don't feel stupid. I feel like I'm literally like just reading my own mind. Right. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm just talking in my own head because like I said, he is not a writer. He wrote this book just based off what he learned from uh, one of his best friend's dads. And it's, and you could tell from it, you're going to read this book and you're going to be in awe of just how, how you misled you feel like you were. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and the uniqueness I felt with this book is exactly what the title says, right? It's rich dad, poor dad. So it's essentially his real dad, which is his poor dad and his rich dad, which is his, like you mentioned, his, his best friend's dad. Mm-hmm. This at, at throughout the whole book, it gives you these two um, almost like perspectives perspectives on life and how the poor dad treated money and why he was in that position that he was in. And he was just working his W2 income job. As we mentioned before, his income would go up, expenses go up. Mm -hmm. And then on the flip side, his rich dad taught Robert the complete different way and had him grab like a whole different perspective on this money. So I I think that uniqueness in, because I've never read a Mm -hmm. book like that, that goes back and forth. So it was definitely something to consider. And the thing is he does, uh, clearly saying here that each dad is right in their own ways you know Mm -hmm. uh, in the poor dad poor dad has is not really that poor it's middle class so it's not like poor but he is a slave to money and he lives paycheck to paycheck he's in trapped in what's called the rat race and that's one thing he says over and over in this so what he said what he defines as like poor and wealthy in here is if you were to stop working right now how long can you last if you right. were to stop working right now and get everything taken from you, how long would you last? And that's how wealthy you are. If you mm-hmm. last the rest of your life, shoot, you're filthy rich. You're retired. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> Literally. That, that's what that means. Yeah. But that's the whole you, purpose. If you were to get fired right now and you would only last one month because that's how much is in your bank account, you're poor. Yeah. That's right. plain and simple. I mean, there's a difference between being rich and wealthy. I know rich is like the amount of money you have right now. Wealth is how long you can make it last. Right. Uh, he does say that in here, too. He's like, he doesn't care about the young people that are rich. He cares about listening to the people who have kept money for a long time. The wealthy. Yeah, the wealthy. Poor dad, by the way, has many great degrees. Very educated person. Went to school for a long time and uh, knows what he's talking about. The thing is, he's still rich. I mean, he's still poor. <laughs> poor, <laughs> he, yeah. Yes. He has all this education. Yes. He's gone to school for so long, yet he's still poor. And the rich dad what only made it past like eighth grade. Something like I'm not too yeah, sure about that. Honestly, I can't remember but, that yeah, detail, but he—I like don't think he even made it through eighth right. grade, mm-hmm. and yet he became one of the most wealthy people in uh, all of Hawaii. You can even look so, at it awesome. in terms of like a lot of things. Like when you look at like a lot of famous business owners, I mean, or like famous like influencers that made big corporations. I mean, a lot of them didn't like either dropped out of school, dropped out of college. They didn't get that much education yet. They have like billion, multi-billion-dollar corporations. Right. Very well yeah. said. And just tying the knot. The reason why we started with this whole credit deal and then we started to talk about what Isaac was talking about, income, expenses, finance, literacy, tying the knot together, these go hand in hand. We want to really open a door for you and try and make you really see the world and see how money works Mm -hmm. and how strings are pulled in our day-to-day lives and how you can really take advantage of this because at the end of the day, as we said from the beginning, from episode one, we want to see everybody win. The listeners, everyone sitting at this table, your dog, your cat, we want to see you guys Mm -hmm. win. And we want everyone to live a very comfortable, successful life. Comfortable in a sense of you don't have to to worry about some W-2 income job. 
So with the credit talk, oh, sorry. Sorry. I was going to define that as uh, we want everyone to be in a point where you can work where you want, when you want, with whom you want. Exactly. Plain and simple. Exactly. And here's, here's the thing is it's not rocket science. And honestly, like I mentioned, I didn't want to go into depth in this book. I just want to explain some highlighted things that I found that I took from it. So pretty much, you know, the asset versus liability thing, the the fact that money is not bad. It, it's just your emotion toward it. Nothing in this life is bad. It's just how you look at it. Um, those simple things in this book are just absolutely valuable. And I learned so much from just little things that honestly... I think just are silly when you first read it. You read it and you're just like, how is this guy serious? Then he explains it and you're like, oh my God, I'm, I'm dumb. Uh, and it's a good feeling to feel that dumb because you realize that you just learned something. Right. And it's wonderful. But the way I want to close this is that in terms of finances and your financial education is become educated. Like this book says, learn more about credit, uh, learn more about how to put money into assets in a smart way, how to intelligently invest your money and realize that if you really want something bad enough you're gonna go get it you're not gonna find some excuse like i can't work enough hours or i can't afford this you're gonna find ways to afford it you're gonna find hours to work and you're gonna find ways to bring money because you know that you're gonna end that rat race for not only you but generations to come it is up to you because if you don't do it who's gonna do it do you trust your kid to do it when you die do you trust your brother to do it Who's going to end the family poverty line? You have to figure out that, figure out where that line is and how you're going to erase it. That was very well said, Isaac. We People, as well as even myself and people sitting at this table, we need to learn more and take more action. You guys can learn how to do that in the next episode as a little snippet. Isaac, go ahead and close off the episode. Wonderful. I just want to thank everyone for listening to the podcast. Life is beautiful, and I want you guys to go through life thanking God every single day. Realize that every day you wake up is a blessing, and I'm tired of this TGIF mentality. It's t- it's time that you change that mentality to TGIA. Might sound a little corny, but it stands for thank God I'm alive every day. I think I said I think I spelled that wrong. Point is T-G-I-A-E? Yeah. E. <laughs> the point is I'm tired of that stupid mentality of waiting for the weekend because you're already in the mindset of quitting. The second you clock out Friday, you're already in the mindset to shut everything off and be lazy and do nothing. I'm here to tell you that that's stupid. If you really want to make a difference in your life, you're going to wake up thanking God every day. You're going to wake up trembling a little bit because you're scared of the amount of work you're going to have to do because it's a lot of work that you have to do. It's not going to be easy. You're going to have to wake up on the weekends earlier than the days you wake up when you go to work. But guess what? You woke up, motherfucker. Go to work. Listen to the next episode. Have a great day. Love you. Bye.